So let's get to Scripture. If you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. If you remember last week, we talked about taming the tongue and the importance of our words and and the weight and the power that our words uh, do carry. And so uh, in that same vein, James goes on to talk about wisdom and how there's actually indeed two different kinds of wisdom uh, for us to be mindful of. So there in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Here we go. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a good thing for us to be reminded from frequently uh, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And so something like this topic, this idea of wisdom, that we may feel like we have a pretty good handle on what it is and what it looks like and what it does, um, to take a second look at and to allow you to speak into it and show us what you think true wisdom is. Lord, would your words this morning speak to us and show us just where we are and how we can truly incorporate your wisdom into our lives better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I shared a story about a time that I got lost at Disneyland. And uh, I, I remembered, you know, that if you get lost, you should stay where you're put. Except I forgot that that wasn't what we agreed upon when we got there. My mom had clearly given us a place to go if we got lost. And I didn't stay put until I got in line for Star Tours and then stayed put. Uh, I bring that up because um, I was trying to think of examples of wisdom in my life, uh, and I came up with more examples of foolishness. And so rather than talk about myself, we're just going to talk about what James talks about and hope that you guys can think of some examples, I don't know, from your own lives. Uh, if you need some from my, my life, you can talk to my wife. She'll give you lots of them. Um, James is talking to the church, and as, as Matt mentioned last week, Uh, We talked about the tongue, and James was talking about teachers. There were people who were teaching in the church, and because they were good speakers, and because they seemed to have sort of a way with words, um, and and people like were influenced by them, everybody assumed they should be speaking and doing this. And James was instead seeing people that were uh, that were speaking, but were not really qualified to speak to teach. They weren't teaching the right things. They weren't uh, people with the right qualifications, and so he. He tells uh, the people in the church not only to think about their teachers, but also themselves and the way they handle themselves in their words. This week, we look at, he's still talking about teachers. He's talking about people who are wise in people's minds, Um, that they are in this position where they're teaching, they've got authority, and the church is like, yes, we want to hear from them. And yet James sees them, and he hears reports about the fact that they don't actually live out the things that they're teaching. In fact, they maybe have a wrong understanding of what wisdom and knowledge really is, and so that's what he's clearing up for them. 
Now, right out of the gate, we're talking about, we're going to talk about two, as Matt said, two kinds of wisdom. And uh, I'm going to tell you three things about it specifically. One, where we can find it, where we find wisdom. And the second is how does it help us? How does this, do these wisdom, do these kinds of wisdom actually help us in our lives? And the third one is where does it lead us? Not just how does it help us now, but where does it ultimately lead us and lead our lives? What is the end result of this wisdom? So the first question about wisdom, let's just assume that we want to be wise, all of us. Uh, The first question is where can we find it? James talks about the wise and understanding, and he says this, who's wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So right here, James is saying there are two kinds of wisdom, and they're differentiated by where they come from. So where do you find them? The first kind of wisdom is from below. He says it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic, okay? Now, the first two words, earthly and unspiritual, those words are always used when they're contrasting with something else in the Bible. So if it's talking about earth, then it's probably also, uh, that it's also going to be in a passage that's talking about earth versus heaven. If it's talking about the unspiritual, it's gonna be comparing it to, to the spiritual form of something. Unspiritual doesn't necessarily mean bad, and earthly doesn't necessarily mean bad, but when they're used, when these words are used, they're always going to be used in a context of saying, listen, you have the spiritual side of things and you have the the physical side of things. I mean, God created the physical world, the physical order. He created us and we are physical. Um, But what James is getting at here is he's saying there is a form of wisdom that is the accumulation of the knowledge of all of what we do here. Okay, so in this life, in this world in which we live, it is what we have figured is the best way to go. Things that will help you ultimately live well. I mean, that's what every person wants. Every person wants to live well. We, have our, we might have a different idea of what living well looks like for, to another person, between us and someone else, but ultimately the goal is to live well. And so wisdom, we would say, is, you know, people often define it as like the practical application of knowledge. It's not just knowledge, it's applying it well. So you would look at a person and you would say, that person has wisdom if, uh, let's say if you're talking about wisdom from below, that person has wisdom because I see that they are able to navigate this life that we're living and they're able to do it pretty well. This is good stuff. This is not bad stuff just because it's from below. I'll give you some examples of wisdom from below. Save and invest your money. Don't spend it. Make your money last. It's pretty good advice, right? We, uh, we've had a couple Christmases where um, Ellie's grandparents uh, gave us some, some very generous gifts um, financially, and uh, her grandpa always made sure to write in the card invest it, put it away, save it. And all the grandkids will kind of look at each other like, I don't think so, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we, I mean, we did invest it, but it was just in, you know, things um, that we wanted to use now. Um, 
They say, save it, invest it. So don't, don't spend it. You know, you got to make your money last. Believe me, you're going to regret it if you don't do it. That's good advice. That is good wisdom for doing well in this life, in this world. Measure twice. Cut once. Very good advice. Wisdom. I can tell you from experience this one. I would have saved myself a lot of time, frustration, and money if I had always done this, or if I still did it, which I still don't do it. Um, have, have a date night every week. Every week, if you, have, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, never mind, I'm not talking to you. Every day is a date for you. you know, you're, you're on a vacation all the time. Uh, have, make sure that you make it a priority to have a date night because, because even though you're busy while you're raising kids and things are crazy, like the erosion of a marriage is often what leads to the erosion of a family. And you could get so busy trying to make a family happen that you forget about the relationship that that family is kind of, is kind of standing on, built on, right? That's good advice, right? Like whatever you do, have a weekly date night. Eat right, get some exercise. It's pretty simple, pretty basic, right? We don't like that. Uh, eat right, get some exercise. But uh, it has been proven. Studies show that eating, you know, well and exercising is better for you than not eating well and not exercising. Now, you can get hit by a bus, sure. But, you know, how healthy were you when you got hit by a bus, right? Okay. Um, Determine, it, it is wise to determine, to, to every once in a while, determine, just sit down and determine the things that are important to you in your life. And then make those things a priority. Figure out how can I make these important things a priority so that all the unimportant stuff doesn't crowd them out. That's wisdom, right? Because just because they're important doesn't mean they're always urgent. They're always a priority in our lives. We let other things that are not that important, that we don't care about that much, crowd out the important stuff. Then we look back and go, I never made any time for the things that matter the most. So do that. Sit down, stop in your own way, whatever you have to do, and go, what is important? What are, I need to make these things a priority. Don't propose publicly unless you know for sure that they are going to say yes, okay? Um, I took Ellie to a very secluded beach where no one could be there if she was like, what, you know, no. <laughs> We've only been dating five years, you know? I barely know you, right? Um, we, if you ever, side note, if you, if you, if you get bored later on, um, go on YouTube and type in uh, public proposal fails. It is so painful. It is, you think, you think, you're, you, think you can handle it, you can't. You, you, you're like, I, I got to turn this off. I can't handle, I don't know if I can handle this because it is so painful. I watched one where they were literally arguing. They were arguing. She was saying, stop, 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 stop. And he kept going and then he was arguing why she wouldn't say yes. It was awesome. A lot of women running away too. Uh, don't propose publicly unless you are sure they will say yes. Okay, how about this one? Choose your battles. That's a good one, right? That's pretty simple. Choose your battles. People say it. It's good advice. Don't, you can't fight every battle. You can't. You're definitely not going to win it if you fight every battle. So choose your battles wisely. When you are getting dressed in the morning and you put on a pair of pants, 
that you just washed and dried and they just fit perfectly. And you think, I don't think I need a belt today. Grab the belt and put the belt on, okay? This is personal experience, okay? Because you're probably going to need the belt about halfway through the day. They're going to stretch out, you know, I do a lot of lunges and they stretch out and, you know, just through the hallways, that's what I do. Grab the belt. Wisdom. That one's for free. Somebody once told me um, at the first uh, church that I was working as a youth pastor, a guy that was kind of in the leadership of the church, he took me aside. He said, he said Eddie, he said, uh, that was my name back then, he said, um, you need to learn how to manage up. And I was like, manage up? He's like, yeah, you know, just like your boss has to manage down, has to manage you, you have to learn how to, you know, manage him. And he wasn't talking about manipulating him or anything. He was like, listen, when you're in a meeting and he's telling you things, don't just sit there with a blank look on your face, right? Say something back, something that might make him feel like you heard what he said and that you're actually even going to do what he said. That'll make him feel better. You want him to feel better. You know, if things are going well, maybe let him know. Maybe just remind him, you know, point him out. You know, there's things that you could probably do to uh, help your relationship with, uh, with your boss. Uh, and that's kind of part of your job, you know. Otherwise, your life's going to be a whole lot harder. Very, very valuable because most of us, most of our lives are, have a boss and have somebody and oftentimes find ourselves in situations where there's like a disconnect between us uh, but we forget that, like, we have a responsibility there, too, not just them. This is all good stuff. This is wisdom that is accumulated throughout life. So this is what we mean, and we talk about wisdom, something that the longer you live, the older you get, the wiser you become. Not everybody gets wiser, of course, as they get older, but uh, if you choose to care about wisdom and to try to apply these things and do these things, if you're not, not just living by every immediate impulse then you will do better objectively at living life and you will become wiser. You'll accumulate more wisdom as you go. It comes from below and we can accumulate it. Now, here's what's so interesting is that the words that, that James uses for earthly and unspiritual are, are basically describing the component of us that is an animal. Now, I'm not saying that we are animals. What I'm saying is, is that God created everything that we see. And without this spiritual side of us, without being, uh, having God's spirit, because he made us in his own image, that what James is saying is he's saying this wisdom that is earthly, that is unspiritual, this is the same thing that you see when a bear it goes and hibernates for the winter and then lives again. When, when, a, when a squirrel puts away a bunch, of, a bunch of acorns for the winter, when a, I don't know, gazelle or something looks into the water hole and checks for the crocodile before sticking his head into the water hole, right? Actually, you sh they shouldn't stick their heads in the water hole anyway, right? They should just drink from it, okay? These things that you see, right? You watch like documentaries, you look at what animals do and you look at the way that they are so good at successfully surviving and living as long as they can and thriving. All of those things are wisdom, essentially. Wisdom that can even be passed on. Wisdom 
uh, that is accumulated over time. And what James is saying is he's saying there is a wisdom that we have that is the same kind of thing. It is basically, but what he's saying is he's saying like this thing that you see in other people much of the time that makes you go, they're so wise. This thing that you maybe even think that you yourself has have that you go, look at the job I'm doing, living life. Look at how much people admire me and they tell me that they like the choices I've made and the things that I've done and the, the right path I've been on and how smart and wise I've been. Then much of the time, those people are looking at something that according to James is no more than just, I've learned how to survive better in the wild. I've learned how to live longer and live better. But it's merely a natural instinct. He even calls this demonic, as if pointing out that this wisdom will have a tendency, if it is the only thing that we pursue, to ultimately steer us at some point off of the path that leads us to God. So ultimately, uh, at some point, self-preservation, living well, taking care of yourself, uh, like surviving and thriving, is going to depart from God's plan, God's desire for us. And when that happens, this, spirit, this wisdom is a demonic wisdom because it'll lead us right into another direction. So there's the wisdom from below that is what we see around us constantly. And then there's wisdom from above. And where does wisdom from above come from? The wisdom from below, we accumulate it. We get it from other people. We observe it. We seek to let people even tell us how they get it. We see somebody, we say, I want you to maybe like mentor me and I want you to, to, to develop, to pour into me and I want to be, be like you because what I see is good. So the wisdom from above, how do we get it? The wisdom from above comes from God. He gives it to you. It isn't just accumulated. And it isn't just taken by copying other people. We read about this when the wisest person in the Bible, where they get their wisdom from. Solomon prays to God and says, God, if I could have anything from you, I would want wisdom to be the wisest person in the world. And here's what God says in response to him in a dream. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God had said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life for riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. So how did Solomon get wisdom? God just gave it to him. And then it says he was wise. Uh, the, the wisdom that uh, comes from above, we see the disciples gain it, but they don't gain it through trial and error. They don't gain it through doing a good job of, of, of acting a certain way. In fact, it seems that much of the time, no matter how hard they try, Jesus still has to tell them how the kingdom of God works. The parables and all of his teachings and the Sermon on the Mount, these are all Jesus clarifying wisdom from above and giving it to them. So if we want it, where do we get it? Well, we have it in God's word, which is an incredible resource for wisdom but we also have it by, and James says this in the beginning of James, he says the first step to having wisdom from above is asking God for it. So rather than looking around at other people, we say, God, 
give me wisdom. And James says that if we believe that God will give us wisdom, that what he gives us is indeed wisdom, even if it doesn't match up with what we like that we see in other people, he says, believe that it's wisdom. If not, you're going to find yourself getting tossed back and forth again and again. Is this really wise? Is this not? It doesn't really line up. It has to always line up, right? Many people will ask God for wisdom, but if it doesn't line up with wisdom from below, because they don't believe that God would ever desire for or have value in something that ultimately makes our life harder, costs us something, right? We think that doesn't make sense, and we're tossed back and forth by a wave. So the good news is that we can ask for the wisdom that comes from above. We just say, God, would you give it to me? And then we can find it in his word, and we can hear it through his spirit, and we can see it in the lives of people who also are seeking wisdom from above. We can be discipled. And, and we can gain it that way as well. So um, I was talking with, Ellie and I were talking with her mom a couple of weeks ago. She was in town visiting, and we were just talking about how things are going. Her mom is just an incredibly, uh, just a wonderful, like, Christian woman who is just such a great, uh, great mom, great wife, great, you know, great grandma, great everything. Awesome. Um, and uh, so that's my, that's my, you know, I'm going to give my context here. Uh, so she was mentioning to us that there were some younger women at her church that had asked her, uh, not together in a group, but kind of separately over the last year or so, asked her if she would like mentor them. Or they, they expressed some, they were like, I just want to be mentored. Or she had a friend who knew some, uh, also knew some other like younger women and some moms and stuff that were like, oh, this, they, they've asked if you meant them. And, and she said, you know, so I've had these like people ask, but she said, I just, I don't, she's like, I don't even know what I would say. I don't know what, I don't even know how I would do that. Uh, I, I'm not sure how to tell them, you know, what to do. Or, and, and as we were talking and talking, we realized at one point that we weren't talking about the same thing when we talked about what they wanted from her and the idea of discipling a person even. Because at first I thought that's what we were talking about, but then we realized what they saw in her was her ability to do a great job of living life well. They saw that she was a great mother, a great wife, that she had done well in life, that, that, they, uh, that, that she was wise and that she had made good choices. She was a really kind, nice person. People like to be around. She had great relationships. And so people saw this and they said, I want to be you. And that's how mentoring works, isn't it? Mentoring works that way. We say, I want to be like this person, so I want them to show me how to be the way they are. Uh, and, uh, and mentoring is really challenging for people because it's like I, a lot of times I don't know how to show someone how to be the way that I am, how to be who I am, right? Discipleship, on the other hand, is different. Discipleship is I want to be the way Jesus is and a person that says I can help show you the way Jesus is because I'm trying to go there as well. And, and you don't find yourself in discipleship going, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to show them or how to act. I mean, believe me, I've learned this firsthand because there have been often times that God led me to disciple somebody who was older than me. And it was like, they've been through more, lived through more, seen more than I have. So I'm not telling them to be me. I'm showing them to be Jesus. Wisdom that comes from above is different in that way. So then the question, how does it help? We have wisdom that comes from below, wisdom that comes from above. How do they help us live well? The wisdom from below, we read, leads to something. 
And it doesn't sound very good. And it's, as we read this, it's hard to think, like, okay, wait, so why exactly did people listen to these teachers? Why exactly did they want to do what they said? It sounds like what James is saying is that, is that they weren't very good. He, he, twice in this passage, this short passage, he, he refers to them as having bitter jealousy and its selfish ambition. He implies that if you're listening to these people that, and that these teachers themselves have, uh, he says, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These somehow drive and motivate what they do. And that tells us something. It tells us that wisdom from below is ultimately, the way that it helps is it is help for those that wish to aspire. Those that wish, you see how that, I know it's going to get confusing is the arrows are going to change. Okay, so just, but it's, it's important. You got to pay attention. You got to think about it. You see, you see that, you know. Anyway, um, wisdom from below is for those that want to go up, to get better. They aspire. We say, I want to be better than I am. I want to do better and more than I am doing. And that concept of aspiring is ultimately ambition. It is an ambitious desire. And so James says, the way that this wisdom helps you is if you're ambitious, If you have a passion and a longing to be greater than you are, then this worldly wisdom will indeed objectively help you. Why? Because it is based on one thing alone, which is doing as good as you can in the wild, in the way that you live. We have two ways of... uh, Well, well, this word... um, I'll say this first. We have two ways of looking at a life that is well-lived, okay? I, I think the more I think about, about people, the, way I th- the more I think that you can, you can put us in, oftentimes in these two categories, which is I work to live or I live to work, okay? So we hear ambition, and if we, uh, if we work to live, if we just we do the things that we do just so that we can have a life that is joyful and that is pleasurable and that is, that is a good life, we would say. We're like, I don't, I'm not an ambitious person. I don't have big, giant goal. I don't need to be like the best, famous, most amazing. I don't got anything to prove. I just want a life that is ultimately well-lived. This, this is someone who simply enjoys a good life. Somebody who would never call themselves overly ambitious or striving for greatness. This person simply wants to look back and say, my family, my friends, my marriage, my days on this earth brought me joy and happiness and fulfillment. I may have worked hard, but I played hard. I may have done difficult things much of the time, maybe things I wasn't totally passionate about doing that no one thinks is a big deal, but I made sure to enjoy the time that I had as well, as much as I could. To this person, wisdom is the knowledge and practical ability to achieve that kind of fulfillment. To this person, wisdom that comes from below helps me to be fulfilled in that way. You're like, I have not set my sights so crazy high that I can't reach them. But I still need help reaching them. And it helps me as I aspire to that thing. The second is somebody who has a passion or a drive for greatness. To accomplish things that are above average. You have big dreams, you have big passions, you have big goals. And they take a lot of discipline, they take a lot of self-denial, they take a lot of sacrifice. 
This is somebody who wants to be able to say, look at what I made of myself. Look at what I accomplished in this life. Look at what the hard work and the late nights and the trial and error and the doors that got slammed in my face, look at what it all led to. To this person, wisdom is the knowledge and the ability, the practical ability to accomplish these kinds of great things, the things that we aspire to. I have a passion that is burning inside of me, and I aspire to be able to live out that passion so that I can be truly great, so that I can know that I did the most that I possibly could with the time that God gave me on this earth. Both of these are things that ultimately speak to ambition and different kinds that we have in our lives. And, and the world speaks of ambition as a fairly neutral thing. We say it can be good, it can be bad. I talked to a lot of people this last week, like, what do you think of ambition? You know, they're like, well, it depends on what you mean by it. You know, there's good ambition, there's bad ambition. Every single person I've talked to has said that. The Bible doesn't describe ambition that way. This is one of the reasons why uh, this word ambition is described, is, is translated selfish ambition. Because in the Greek, it is just one word, ambition. But in the English translation, the concept that is translated over has to have something added to the beginning of it to make it not a neutral thing. So selfish is added. And that's because there's one other time that Paul uses the word. He says, I am ambitious for the gospel in Romans. So there's like, there is that ambition, but that's a different word, and that's a different concept that he's communicating. So according to the Bible, ambition is not a neutral thing. It's actually a negative thing. And it's described and translated as a selfish thing for ourselves. One New Testament scholar uh, says this about uh, this concept. He says, if we stick closely with the biblical term for it, ambition is folly. For we take God's gifts of godly aspiration and fashion them into weapons of self-interest. What he says is he says, ambition used to be a vice. Now it is a virtue. And because of that, we see it as a, a good thing. And when we encounter what we see here, uh, or, or, or where selfish ambition is made the enemy of unity in Philippians. When we went through Philippians, we read that Paul said that. We see that ultimately it is help, this worldly wisdom is help for those that want to aspire. We are drawn to those who teach us how to have these things. And we will raise up and we will empower and we will follow people who teach us how to do them. This is the truth. We see people, they seem knowledgeable, they seem wise. Why? Because they can help us aspire to whatever that thing is that we want. And because of that, we lift them up and we say, I want to follow them and I want to hear them. And, and, and yeah, maybe they don't always, they don't live out a lot of what's in the Bible maybe. Maybe they're not the best at doing certain things, but hey, Anybody can do this stuff. Not, any, not everybody can speak the way they do. Not everybody can lead the way that they do. Not everybody can make me feel like it's actually okay to pursue this thing that I love and that I'm passionate about for myself. 
In fact, they might even tell me that I could pursue it for God. Without a doubt, wisdom from below leads to a fruitful and productive and long life, or at least it gives you the best possible chance to do this. But that's all that it offers us. And if God's desire for us is ever more than simply that, they won't line up. So here's the question that you ask yourself, okay? If you're trying to figure out, you know, is this what I'm drawn to? Is this, is, are these the people, the voices that I listen to? The question is this, do I walk away with a bigger and better view of the teacher, of the speaker, of the leader? Or do I walk away with a bigger, better view of God and his kingdom? James is asking, who is wise and understanding among you? They really believe that these people that are teaching them are the wise and the understanding ones. But how often do we hear words from people and we want to follow them, but every time we walk away, it's like, man, they're so amazing. They're so great. They're so humble. They're so awesome. And our view of them grows. And if we're honest, the reason we're drawn to them is because we want to be like them. We want to have the confidence they have, the ability they have. More than anything, usually, we want to experience the success that they've experienced, whether it's in their family, whether it's in their job, whether it's in something else. And our view of of God and of his kingdom is not necessarily magnified, but it is of the person. The other thing that it does is for those that are seeking wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is help for the meek and the humble. You see this? We're flipping the arrow now. So if you seek wisdom from above, the, what it will do is it will help you not aspire. It will help you go down. It will help you be meek, and it will help you be humble. It will lead you to that place every time. And in doing so, you will experience wisdom from above. James says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It is help for the meek. It is evident in their works and in the heart, the internal, like even the attitude and the posture of this person. These descriptions, these, these, these words that he uses to describe what you see in the life of a person who is called to lead and called to teach so they can point us to God's wisdom. He says these words that were like, yeah, these are all very positive words. If you, if, you, if you translate them and you see the way that they look, purity is ultimately a reflection of a desire, not just to follow the rules and do the right thing, but to want the right thing. To say, I want to do the right thing by God because I know that ultimately this is the best thing. That is the real source of purity. God is good, and so God's ways are good. Even if it is hard, even if I have to lose something I'm attached to, even if I become less, not more. Purity is evident in this person's life. They are peaceable, which means freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. That would be nice. They are not... Uh, another word that, there, there's all kinds of words that have 
um, that have become positive that used to be negative. Uh, Not just ambition, words like striving, words like restless, right? These are things that that used to maybe describe somebody who who isn't able to just be where they are, to be content. Uh, I think nowadays, even words like restless are considered a good thing, right? You're, You're somebody that is being stirred up within to go out and do something that is difficult, um, but how much of that is simply anxiety and inner turmoil, the, the, the need to somehow make up for your incompleteness that you feel by doing something more different. This person will be gentle. They're, they're, they're gracious and restrained. They can take a lot and be restrained and still be gracious towards others. Wisdom from above is ultimately helpful for people in making them this way. This person is open to reason. Have you, ever, um, have you ever had to tell something to someone and you just know that they are not going to hear it? They are not open to it. They are not reasonable in that situation. Is that not the worst feeling? You're like, it's just, it's impossible. It feels totally impossible. Because they're just not open to the possibility that maybe they're wrong, that this thing is happening. They're not open to seeing something a different way than they're seeing it right now. They're just not open to it. Well, this person will be, he says, open to reason. They will be willing to listen and they will be able to be persuaded to the truth. They will be full of, and then the last ones he gives are kind of in groups, full of mercy and good fruits. That's like a universally well-loved thing. You see it in a person, you go, I like that. They're merciful towards others. They have good fruits in their lives. They are impartial and sincere. That means not prejudiced and meaning what you say. I don't know anybody who's like, you know, I like, I like them, they're prejudiced, you know. No, they're, 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 they're impartial, they're unprejudiced. They really are. They really, they really do strive to uh, see people the same rather than, you know, because we all have our categories and groups and stuff. And, and not only that, but they're sincere. You, you know that they mean what they say. You, you're so used to people not meaning what they say or being fake or whatever, but that's just how it is. Maybe you think that when you come across someone who is really sincere in this way, you're like, whoa, this person really is sincere. You see, God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, is aimed more at peace with God and peace with other people than at anything else. That is what the source of this wisdom is. That is why it says this person will sow peace and they will will harvest peace and righteousness because that is ultimately what it will bring. This wisdom brings peace with God and peace with other people, love for God and love for other people. This is a person who is very easy to be in a relationship with. This is a person who can be in relationship with almost anyone because they are truly wise and they are truly capable of that. Where does it lead? So where do these different types of wisdom lead us? The first... The wisdom from below, it says there will be disorder in every vile practice. That sounds exciting, right? You see, the problem with this one is that we fail to see where it leads every time. We fail to see the damage that comes from a believer, a person following Jesus, who then decides that they're going to listen to the wisdom of the world, 
and think that somehow it's going to be okay, it's going to work out. I can't think of a better example of this than, uh, than, a, than a very well-known, really large church, Willow Creek. One of the first, really the first, like, sort of seeker-friendly church, just massive megachurch, really influential, raising up leaders, developing tons of resources about how to do stuff at church and how to do it well. Very, very respected. And then their lead pastor, Bill Hybels, uh, accusations begin coming out about him with women that he worked with on staff and other women at the church. And, and really, the big scandal is not just around that, but around how the leaders of the church handle it. Because what they say from the beginning is, we're not even going to entertain these accusations. We are going to immediately discredit these women. Because we know that it is not possible that a leader like him would do these kinds of things. That a church like ours that has been so successful would do these kinds of things. There was a Babylon Bee article afterwards, one of the best ones ever, and it said something like, you know, church beginning to regret um, blindly following fallen human leader uh, you know, wholeheartedly. It's basically like, what did we think would happen if we took a person and we said, Everything they do is great. Why? Because they're successful. According to what standard? The standard of the world. But still, God probably wants that, right? And we continue to forget where ultimately that would lead. And so he says, remember where it leads. It leads to disorder and to every vile practice. And I would actually say the disorder is worse than the every vile practice. Now, he's saying, obviously, there are things in their life that are bad. You look at them and you go, oh, yeah, they could do better at that, or no, they're not exactly great in that area. But you go, again, they're so wise. They have so much stuff. They've been so successful. People have such respect for them that, you know, it's okay. Well, they also create disorder. Wisdom from below leads us to division. It leads us to competition. It leads us to strife. And the reason for this is because ultimately ambition is a relative thing. The idea of me uh, going up more in my status in life is relative to everyone else being lower. And so ultimately, it's really about competition. I'm trying to be the best. I want, I'm passionate. I want to be great. Great compared to what, right? I want to be better than everybody else. Even if you're somebody who's like, nah, not me, because I, I work to live. I just have simple pleasures and simple things I enjoy in life. Okay, here's the really bad news. Chances are, whatever the standard of living is that you have in your mind of what it looks like to just live a pretty good life, chances are, uh, well, we definitely don't have the resources for everyone on this planet to live that pretty good life that you're thinking about. And really, the only way that you could experience those things is, so, is that other people don't get to experience those things. So in some way or another, the desire to simply have the thing that you want, that you know will make this one life that you get on this planet, surviving in the wild, good, it's about competition and it's about division. Because ultimately, it's going to lead you away from other people. Your path is going to separate from theirs. And so what it leads away from is community. And it leads away from unity. There is rivalry at the core of this thing. 
And what the church was experiencing was the kind of turmoil that results when there are competing groups and agendas within a nation or a community or a household. Order is this. We are all going to be about one thing that is bigger than our individual things. Because we can agree that this thing is bigger and more important than us, then we can be for this thing, even when it costs us. Disunity and division and disorder and competition come when we don't have something like that. And so the only reason that we're together is because it suits us now. But there will be a point when it doesn't suit us. And that's when we leave. And that's when we divide. Because it's now time for us to move on to whatever the next thing is, the next relationship, the next community of people. For, for, for many, it's literally out of their own family, which is something that we, again, value now. Like, I'm not talking about like leaving a spouse. I'm saying like, we highly value the idea of pursuing an ambition out of restlessness and a spirit like that. And, and we admire more people who walk away from more relationships and people in order to do that. That is the bravest thing that you can do rather than the concept of giving of those things to be in that community for those people because there's something bigger than just yourself. Um, an author was writing an article in The Atlantic. She said it this way. She said, ambition drives people forward. Relationships and community by imposing limits hold people back. In order to be in community and be in relationships, you have to choose to sacrifice your ambition. You do. And so there will be a point, if you're pursuing wisdom that comes from above, that this will happen. You'll feel it. It will hurt. It will be difficult. You'll be aware that you're giving up and letting go of something that you could have for yourself. A path that you could go down, maybe on your own, but still one that helps you be better than you were before. James ultimately says, again, that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That what you will see by people who follow people who seek wisdom from above is you will see peace. You will see community. You will see a group of people who find a way to be in relationships together, even though it costs them, even though it's difficult for them. I have met so many people who have left the church and then the faith not because they stopped believing in God, but because the path that they were on in life simply led them another way. It just didn't work to be a part of it. But what James says is that will this, where this will lead us is it will lead us not away from each other, it will lead us towards each other. It will lead us into unity together. It will lead us into community together. That is where this wisdom leads us. And that is why the single biggest encouragement given to the church is that they would remain united. Because it doesn't matter how big a church is or how small it is, how, how, what age people are, how diverse or how similar they are, how much money the church has or how little money it has, or whether it's even existing in a place where it's illegal to be a believer or not. Because in all of those situations, you can be united. You can have unity and you can have community if you're willing to follow the wisdom that comes from above and not the wisdom that says, here's how you live a good life. We're going to um, 
spend some time in worship, and as we do, we're going to take communion this morning. And one of the best things about this is, well, every single week, ultimately, where we end up leaves us relying on Jesus in order for any of it to happen. But I can't think of a better example of this being played out than in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was in the desert and he was being tempted. He was fasting and he was praying and the enemy came and tempted him. And Jesus showed us through resisting those temptations that he was capable of living a life that no other person could live, that he was able to believe God enough that he could resist the temptation of the enemy. And, and what Satan tempts him with is not just food and is not just power, but, but he tests him and he says, he says if, you will, if you choose to, if you choose to, you can stand up and you can rule over all of these people and everything that you see here. He does kind of like a Mufasa thing. He says, like, everywhere the light touches is your kingdom. And it probably was like that inspirational, you know. And, and in order to not be tempted, Jesus merely had to say, even though I can be the best and I can all serve me and I can be in authority and power over all of them, I instead am going to sacrifice, give of myself, be meek and humble. I'm going to do that. Why? Because to bring the Father glory is greater for me than to simply rule over all of this as a leader. He willingly said, I see that this is better I see that, that this physical stuff in front of me is not all that there is. And so he did it. And because he did it, and because of his sacrifice, we can do it as well, even though we're not perfect. So as we take communion, and Pastor Matt's going to come up, and he's going to kind of share with us how that will work, uh, we reflect on that very thing.